0: Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show, with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Boltevich, and now, here's Jay!
1: Good afternoon, and it's another beautiful day here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, at least it's, you know, not raining right at the moment. Let's put it that way. I think we had barely broke out of the clouds and fog today, and who knows if we even got above freezing. It was kind of a nippy day, and they're talking about possible snow in the morning, which, you know, around here on the Willamette Valley, where we don't get regular snowfall, you know, it, it, it might as well be Washington, D.C. in the snow, because that place falls apart when it snows. Uh, but... So it should be interesting in the morning to see what the commute's like, uh, especially seeing I'm supposed to be meeting with ODOT at, at about 9 in the morning. The clouds and fog today. and Wow, was that ever feedback. <laughs> Did you get that stomped on, Robin?
0: <laughs> oops. Yeah, oops.
1: Okay. We got that fixed. Okay. Sorry about that, folks. A little technical difficulty as we're doing amateur radio here on the Internet. Um, but welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show. West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich was in Salem yesterday at the Marble Nuthouse uh, giving some public testimony, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But we'll talk about anything you want to talk about anytime during the show, and last week's show was a perfect example where somebody took us off on the Collard Lake Road subject for most of the show by just giving us a call here at 646-721-9887. Just press 1, and that lets us know you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press 1, and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the show. So, yes, I was up in Salem yesterday afternoon, and, uh, yeah, the session's in full swing there, and there's all sorts of stuff going on from cap and trade to – uh, you know the rent version of cap <laughs> cap and don't don't evict. Uh, you know at bills going around there and uh, but I was up there to testify on some public safety budget stuff and we'll get to that in a little while. I want to talk a little bit about some of the stuff that the commission was doing this last Tuesday and in particular on the courthouse. And we did a couple things uh, on Tuesday, and one of them was to a, a direct staff to work towards um, a community, community benefits agreement for the courthouse uh, project and to have one connected to the courthouse project. And it's kind of a, a new thing for Lane County, but it was actually uh, utilized For the Knight Science Campus and has been utilized on a couple other projects. And basically, it's a commitment by the public entity that's doing um, a project to to do several things, uh, some of which were already mandated to do. So it's not really promising to do something we're going to do already, which you know, as far as prevailing wage goes, um, you know, we have to do that by law anyhow on a public project. but what it also does is give a lot of preference to uh, local contractors and local building materials in our our process. And if we work with a general contractor, they're supposed to do the same as they, they work with subcontractors. And the idea is to make sure that that money we're spending from local taxpayers benefits local businesses which is like almost a no brainer thing to do and something that we, we did without a community benefits agreement, uh, or at least I should say the state did at the, at the behest of some uh, local um, uh, legislators and local um, elected officials from, you know, from Junction city area. And, and uh, I, I worked on it as well when they built the um, state hospital in Junction city, they gave a lot of preference to local building materials, local contractors, and even after they finished it for like the janitorial services and food services, they tried to go local with that to make sure that, you know, these projects were having a local and also uh, contained in that community benefits agreement is uh, an effort to work on um, apprenticeships, programs and tied to some of the local uh, CTE programs in the high schools and opportunities that we can provide there where possible to, you know, work on um, uh, energy efficiency and to pick building um, and building methods that are beneficial to the community and the environment, uh, which may give us an opportunity to look at uh, cross-laminated timber and mass timber as a building material, which has a far lower carbon footprint than um, concrete and steel does. So, you know, that, that may be one of the ways we, we work in this the these local timber products into the, the courthouse project. But um, it's kind of an exciting thing. We haven't done it before on a county project, um, but I really think it'll be good for this project um, to make sure that if we're going to ask the local taxpayers to put up approximately 60% of the cost in the courthouse, state's going to supply about 40%, um, that there'd be real local benefit. And when you really think about it, we'll be leveraging that state 40% to be spent here locally. So it's going to really kind of um, almost, you know, for every dollar the local taxpayers put in, we'll get about 67 cents of local economic impact if we can kind of focus that spending here locally with local contractors, local building materials. Um, so it, it, it's going to really be a good thing for Lane County to have this community benefits agreement contained in, in the courthouse project. And that was something that the, the board um, voted to direct staff to do that on, on Tuesday. In addition, we kind of backed up on something around the voters pamphlet and went to a a voter information brochure instead, mostly to try and make sure we weren't overloading our um, election staff at the same time they're trying to prepare 260 different ballot styles for across Lane County. And it's just, it's a resource issue. I would love to be able to put out a voters pamphlet for every election because it's good information for the voters. But we're limited in staff in our elections department because we're limited in resources. You know, we we can either hire more staff in elections or we can hire more staff in the sheriff's department because it both comes out of the general fund. They're competing with each other. And we've just we've kind of starved our elections department a little bit, as well as starved our sheriff's department after we lost the secure rural schools um, timber replacement dollars from the federal government or they were greatly reduced. And um, that's just kind of one of the realities we're working with is is we have very limited election staff. And to add on a voter's pamphlet with kind of short notice to the elections vote is really going to compromise their ability to prepare and run a fair and accurate election. And I think that that is the primary function for for Lane County, providing information for the voters secondary first thing we have to do is make sure we're running a fair and accurate election and getting the correct ballot styles and ballots prepared and and mailed out on time collected counted all that good stuff that's more important than you know collecting information from a school board candidate for a voters pamphlet and getting that to a printer on time printed and then mailed to every household in lane county um that's secondary It'd be great if we could do that. And had the staff to handle that, um, but we kind of backed up a little bit. Went to this uh, informational brochure because that's not even produced by the election staff. It gets produced out of our administrative side of things because um, it has. But it you know goes to the um, Secretary of State's office to be reviewed to make sure it's it's just information and neutral and it's not advocating one way or the other on the. Um, for the voters, and that's true of any um, governmental agency that places something on the ballot. So those are a couple things related to the courthouse we did on Tuesday. And kind of in the same vein, it was kind of our public safety day somewhat at at the uh, um, commissioner's meeting in the morning. We first did the courthouse stuff, rolled right into getting a report on our audit of the last fiscal year for the public safety level which is some people refer to as the jail levy. Basically, it it was the levy we passed in 2013 to support um, 255 local jail beds being um, established in Lane County, because we were down to 125 at the time, and um, adding eight more uh, juvenile detention beds, eight more treatment beds, which was going to double our capacity to 16 of those. So it was, it was a um, public safety levy that was supporting jail services and youth services. And we, we, as part of that ballot measure, we required that there be an audit after every um, fiscal year to see if we were meeting the requirements we put into the ballot measure. And one of the, the first thing is that we set up a separate fund, and that separate fund um, was properly administered, yet all the money money for the the levy was going to go into that separate fund and could be tracked separately as to where it was being spent. So, you know, so that was about um, keeping the money separate and being able to account for where it was spent. The second part of that was that we would maintain a certain minimum number of jail beds and a certain minimum number of youth detention and treatment beds. And, um, You know, the target for the jail was 255 local beds. We're at 367 now. The target for the youth beds was 16 and 16, and we're we're at that. So we've met that requirement. The other piece was that we would maintain the general fund contributions into these programs and not play a shell game where, you know, we get this levy and we take the general fund going into the programs and spend it somewhere else. And the levy just ends up making, you know, being, you know, displacing general fund. We didn't want to play a shell game, and we wanted to actually prove to the voters we weren't playing a shell game. So that was part of what the audit looked at also. And basically, it was a clean audit on everything. We kept all the promises. The, the money from the levy was kept separate. The, the general fund contribution was kept steady. And we kept the minimum. In fact, we exceeded the minimum number of beds we promised. All promises kept, a very clean audit for the the public safety levy, and one of the things we're talking about as as we go out for this uh, courthouse, possibly go out, we're, we're going to be voting on that 26th of February, is we're going to look at connecting an audit function to even that that construction project to to demonstrate, you know, that we didn't you know spend money in the- Wrong places and try and keep that um, piece of accountability and transparency for the, for the public there. And that's really what that audit function for the public safety uh, levy was about was, you know, there had been some monkey business almost 30 years ago here in Lane County around uh, basically, you know, a levy was passed and then the board of commissioners at the time reduced the funds into that department by the amount of the levy and then spent the money somewhere else. Didn't go over very well with the voters, and they remember that. So one of the things we try and do is make sure that we're not um, breaking that promise with the voters. And that's what the auditing's all about. It's our um, fourth clean audit in a row on the jail levy. Um, One of the things that did did also clarify and and make note of is that even though the levy we passed says we can charge up to 55 cents per thousand of taxable assessed value to the taxes, taxpayers. Uh, This last year of the audit time, we were only charging 51 and a half cents. And there were two years before that where we were only charging 38 cents. So we have, you know, we've also kind of kept the promise in that we're not going to, if we don't, we're not going to build up a whole bunch of money in that fund that we're not using, and don't need to to the number of jail beds. So um, really good news to get that audit um, and show that we're keeping our promises with the taxpayers, particularly as we're getting ready to ask them for uh, some funding to build the new courthouse, which is really necessary. So we have room as we um, possibly, um, you know, hire additional sheriff's deputies and additional DA staff and all that as we try and go into the next phases of repairing our public safety system, we don't have room for any more DA staff in the current courthouse. So building the new courthouse is also part of rebuilding our public safety system. It's integral in doing so, which leads me to the next item that was on our agenda, which was a presentation from the Public Safety Coordinating Council on our public safety repair plan, which was kind of known... In the previous version, it was called the 10-Year Public Safety Plan that we put out in about 2013. And um, it focused just on some county portions of the public safety system. This got this was an update of that plan that got rewritten to include also some pieces that aren't necessarily under the control of Lane County, like the court system, and it brought in some pieces of the public safety system that you might not think are traditional public safety, like behavioral health, that are critical critical pieces to our public safety system. And um, basically, you know, looked at where are we now? You know, five years, a little bit in, uh, maybe and a couple of months into that 10-year plan, where are we now? Did we, you know, did we get past the, you know, the, the, the old plan was in three phases, Keeping what we have, restoring some felony capacity, and then and going beyond that into phase three, into into um, moving beyond just that minimum capacity to to, um, deal with felon felony crime and prosecution. And uh, this one, we renamed the phases a little bit um, in you know phase one, phase two, phase three, and almost everything in our program has actually achieved phase two and is moving towards phase three with the exception of rural sheriff's patrol which is still back just basically completing phase one of keeping what they have. We did restore 24-hour patrol. There was a couple years there where we weren't patrolling for 24 hours a day so there's been some improvement in the sheriff's patrol but we're still woefully Um, underserved when it comes to rural patrol. But one of the things that the plan is attempting to do is to to describe the interrelationship between services. And if we go to expand Sheriff's Patrol, we're going to have to have an expansion of our DA staff to prosecute the additional folks that that Sheriff's Patrol will start arresting. (laughs) So... And in our current facilities right now, there's no room to put, put any new employees in the DA's office. They're, they're on top of each other to the point where there's some field investigators to the DA's office. There's four of them that share, share one workspace. They have to literally work in shifts around who actually has the desk and who's out in the field. Um, and kind of a, a sort of shift work. <laughs> situation. Um, And our Sheriff's Department, you know, is currently in the basement of the courthouse, uh, at least the the patrol functions uh, administered out of there, and they're cramped there and also dealing with issues. Their evidence room is also in the basement there and has had some issues with pipes bursting up above it as that aging courthouse, uh, has system failures, and flooding the evidence room, and you can imagine the problems that might create <laughs> for trying to um, convict people whose ed- e- evidence may have been waterlogged. Um, uh, we really need to get part of the moving ahead in our public safety system repair and restoring services is we have to have the facilities for those repaired services to be housed in, um, and, and the- And part of the inefficiency in our current courthouse facility and the fact that we're having to um, locate pieces of our system in other buildings and rented space, um, getting rid of those inefficiencies by having one single um, court facility and and sheriff's office um, building where they can all interact in a much more efficient manner helps us move ahead in that public safety repair plan. So it was really interesting to to listen to um, uh, the folks from the public safety coordinating council describe the work that went into the, and the interaction between, you know, these nonprofits that provide some services like children first that deal with the the child victims of crime and child witnesses of crime and, 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 uh, the specialty uh, needs involved in that, where they where they need to go, um, they need a new building because they're they're bursting at the seams right now. So they they have a facility issue also. Um, to um, you know how we interrelate with the um, mental health system, and and how that you know. Lack of capacity there puts strain on some of the uh, the jail system because folks end up in the jail instead of in a mental health facility, <laughs> which is not really where you want to put somebody that's having a mental health crisis. Because a place where the 24 hours a day and has loud clanging noises and no windows is not exactly help somebody that's in a mental health crisis get better. Um, so. A lot of stuff on on the public safety system from facilities with the courthouse to um, the financial management, the transparency through the audit to how how do we move ahead and get, you know, our, our public safety system, which leads me to, as I said at the beginning of the show, I'll get back to my trip to Salem yesterday. And we'll talk about that, but I want to remind folks before I jump into that topic that anytime you want to change the topic on the Bose Nose Show and talk about what you want to talk about, just dial in at 646-721-9887. Just press 1 so that we know you want to get in on the conversation because some people dial in just to listen because away from their computer and you can do that. You know, just call in on your phone, set it on speaker and listen to the show. Uh, live that way. So 646-721-9887. Just press one. Let's Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire. Know you want to get in on the show. So I was up in Salem yesterday testifying on a piece of the uh, public safety budget that's part of the the huge um, the state of Oregon biannual budget. And it was specific to the the Criminal Justice Commission's budget, which is a small little department of of part of the state. Um, And one of the things I was specifically asking for was for them to fully fund the um, Justice Reinvestment Grant Program and the Community Corrections uh, budget. Uh, And that's, even though the Community Corrections is not technically under CJC, it's actually under the Department of Corrections, They interrelate, and I'll explain a little bit why. Community Corrections Act funding is what funds um, the supervision post-conviction and post-sentencing, serving a sentence of folks that have been convicted of crimes. So that's basically parole and probation, but it involves other things, too. Because while you have people on parole and probation, you have to be able to sanction them, which means you have to have jail beds available for them to, you know, if if the sanctions to spend the weekend in jail so that you're not out partying, you know, because you did something a little bit stupid, like you failed failed to go to a job interview or something required as part of your parole conditions, but not bad enough to send you all the way back to prison. Sometimes they'll do short-term sanctions in the jail um, for, for parole violations. Sometimes it might be serving on the uh, county road road crew there, picking up litter, you know, and uh, shaking that bush here, boss. Uh, so, But that road crew has a cost because, they, you know, there's trucks and and um, all the equipment that those guys use from string trimmers to the the, the little pickup sticks, you know, that you squeeze the lever to pick up the trash with. Uh, You know, that has a cost to it, too, that 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 community corrections funds. That's the base funding for those programs for all of our parole and probation funds and jail operations. It funds our work crews a little bit. It it, there's lots of pieces to it. Helps fund some of the, the work that's. As we as we're transitioning people out of prison, so that's the big piece of our funding, like 90%. And then this thing came along in 2013 called the Justice Reinvestment Grant Program. And the idea of that was to give money to local jurisdictions that they were specifically supposed to use to reduce their usage of the state prison system and uh, recidivating and re. Reoffending, uh, so they end up back in the, you know, so basically preventing uh, people from getting back into crime while keeping the public safe. So there's, you know, there's the, the public safety aspect. So you had to watch, you know, your risk when in, in, in doing those programs to the public. And yet you had to try and reduce prison bed usage. And you had to also prevent people from reoffending. If you took, you know, that's what these grants are supposed to be spent on. So it kind of built on that post prison stuff, as well as some, some, um, sentencing, pre sentencing stuff where we actually got into some programs where prior to going through the process of being convicted of a felony, uh, people voluntarily signed up for a system to go through things like treatment court or, um, these diversion programs where they, you know, got treatment for their addictions, went through, um, you know, victim um, uh, 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 reimbursements where, you know, they they got jobs and paid victims back for the, you know, the the money cost of their crimes and all that. And eventually if they, you know, spent three years in the program, kept clean and all that stuff, the felony charge would be dropped. You know, from there you know, of course, if they didn't keep up with the program, the stick was, well, we'll run you through, charge you with a felony, and you end up in the state prison. Lane County has made incredible use of these justice reinvestment dollars, even though they're only about ten percent of these programs funding and all that stuff. It's that added ten percent that we have prison. Usage. And why is that important and why did they start the program at the state level? The idea was to not have to build the next state prison, which they were on the cusp of doing. Particularly on the women's side, they're almost overcrowding the current prisons for women. And if they have to build another prison, there's a big capital cost to it and there's a big operating cost to it. And they figured the avoidance of the next prison was worth about $600 million to the state over the next five bienniums. So they said, how about if we take the equivalent of that and spend about $60 million a biennium on these programs? Well, they never fully funded it. The, they, the, the max they've gone is about $37 million so far. So um, they haven't even given us the full 60 they promised, but they have gotten incredible results the county in reducing prison usage to where they have not had to to start the construction on that women's prison and they and they're nowhere near needing another men's prison right now so it's been a great partnership between the state and the counties and in, in using these funds but it, it's amazing how it's not really the benefit is somehow doesn't sink into the governor in the last couple Recommended budgets that have come out of the governor's office, and um, I think they usually come out the 1st of December. She's undercut these programs both times. And uh, I was up there basically asking the legislature to reverse that, which they did last year um, and provided some pretty decent justice reinvestment grant funding and some pretty good community corrections and tax funding. But this year is going to be, you know, incomplete up there um but in comparison to the total state budget we're looking to get 49 and dollars in the justice reinvestment program when you think about an over 20 billion dollar um, general fund lottery fund budget that's not a lot of that money <laughs> for a lot of bang to the buck 600 million dollar prison it's kind of a pretty important thing not to mention just what it's doing in the communities you know this is where we're funding things like the sponsors um programs where we're housing folks coming out of prison who a lot of times would end up homeless because it's so difficult to get a rental property with a felony conviction you know on your record and um you know if those folks end up turning back to the drugs and the crime that, that got them in prison in the first place, getting them into these, the, these transitional housing where they have support and they learn some coping skills and change in, and in, in behavior, uh, what they call cognitive behavioral therapy, where they get to understand, you know, what sets them off and better ways of dealing with it and, and, and a little bit better it's proven to be really effective uh, where we're getting amazing um, rates of recidivism reduction out of that. And when you think about it, that's a, that's a person we've turned around and made into somebody productive and ahead of me in testimony yesterday was somebody that had actually been through sponsors program. And he talked about how he turned his life around and he had been in trouble from age 12 and it actually started using illegal drugs at age eight because his parents were drug addicts and involved in criminal behavior in and out of jail and prison you know so this guy had come through a horrible you know foster homes and and in and out of the Oregon youth authority and everything and ultimately did something that got him a fairly you know a, a, like five-year prison sentence when he Um, He came out into the sponsor's system, you know, got some mentoring and the training and better ways of dealing with problems in his life. And he's working a a job now, has kids and is a uh, father and paying taxes. And that's the big thing is is the, the human capital loss. As people turn themselves around is what's the dollar value of that? You know, how do you attach the value to that? You know, if 49 and a half million dollars statewide can turn around, you know, hundreds of people across the state, you know, that would have been wasted human capital, wasting their lives in addiction and homelessness and in and out of the criminal justice system um, where they're just nothing but a drag on society to turning them around to Tax-paying dad, you know, in our community. What's what's that cost savings? I mean, we this program was started to avoid building prisons and that cost aversion. But what what's the cost aversion in taking somebody out of that cycle of addiction and making them that that good citizen? How many dollars in a lifetime? Those kids he has, if they got raised in the same did, they would have ended up in the same cycle of poverty and crime and addiction that he was in. But we've interrupted that with him. A generational issue that these programs have supported have interrupted that. You know, what's the what's the cost savings there? How do we put a dollar figure on that? I I just I can't. And and short-sighted enough that she can propose $2 billion more for our schools and not see the benefit of a couple million dollars in our, um, you know, restorative justice programs, basically. Uh, I, I, it was just boggles my mind in some ways. So it'll be interesting to, to see how that goes, but it was kind of nice to get up there and talk about some positive things. And, uh, be up there in the marble nut house kind of seeing things go on it, it's crazy to go up there this time you know, to, when they're in session like this the hallways are filled with um, lobbyists and uh, special interest groups running around trying to, to push their agendas and it's just um, a, a beehive of activity <laughs> and, and I don't I, I it, it's insane that we're gonna have 5,000 pieces of legislation to look at and deal with, you know, as we're dealing with, you know, thousands that have already been introduced and there are thousands more coming. Um, (laughs) Hold on to your wallets, hold on to your seatbelts, the legislature's in session. So going to be back in Salem on Monday uh, talking about all those bills and I'll, I'll probably be able to talk about it more next week about what, what crazy things are going on up there. But uh, moving away from public safety a little bit, I want to ask people, because I didn't watch the State of the Union. One, I I got in late that evening from our Board of Commissioners meeting. Um, I've mentioned that our new chair is not running a very efficient meeting. Uh, and two, I I just, I, they've become so much... It, Anymore, the, the, the standing ovations from one side of the aisle while the other side sits and looks grumpy, and and something else changes and it switches which side stands up and cheers and what the other side sits and and looks grumpy. Uh, it's just and and who's up in the, who gets invited to the you know be up in the gallery and it's not what it was originally uh, thought which you know back in the days before we had broadcast radio which started the the downfall of the state of the union it used to be just a letter from the president to the congress this is this is the state of the union <laughs> and that was it but if you watch the state of the union because i didn't and you have some comment on it or something you want to enlighten me about or my listeners you can give me a call here at 646 721 9887 here on the Bose Nose Show. Again, at 646 721 9887. Just press one and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the show and you want to talk to me, Jay Bozovich, your West Lane County Commissioner. So, moving on in the Bose Nose Show, I have to jump beat on one of Boulevard 6th and Seventh Avenue, as they have are doing the traffic engineering of the drunken architects out there, and uh, we want to remind people of the new name of the double um, circles there in Glenwood. It's now known as the Crazy Eight. You know, so so when you think about the uh, that Glen. We had to start using it as a geographic landmark. You know that, that Roaring Rapids is about a quarter mile west of the Crazy Eight, you know. And, and uh, you, know, you know that Dairy Mart that's right there at the Crazy Eights. <laughs> and, and, so we kind of get we're going to ingrain this in the language of uh, <laughs> of Lane County here because they are the Crazy Eights. But the piece that Rob that I was imagining it as I drove down 6th uh, Avenue today to go to a meeting from, from the um, out in the uh, out Highway 99 um, from downtown today is when it snows all those crazy you know where the lanes jog to the left all at once and they all and then one lane ends and then they jog back to the right and all that goes on what happens when you can't see the lane markings and it's snowed over? Did you did, did you actually go down? Louie? Louis would like to get in on the conversation.
0: <laughs> Shout going to the dogs.
1: Yes, it is definitely. If you're watching the Facebook live, um, you will see Piper that climbed into my lap, and Louis is jealous and and telling me so.
0: I think, I think Louis doesn't like the crazy eight either.
1: The crazy eight, but Robin, did you get to drive down 6th Avenue when the snow covered the lane markings?
0: I went down it, and I mean, it was kind of dusted. The the reflectors, (laughs) excuse me, the reflectors kind of still showed something, but if it was a little bit deeper, then you wouldn't be able to see anything.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I can just imagine what that would be like if snow started about three o'clock in the afternoon. that area and that uh, covered up the <laughs> see Louis doesn't like it either. <laughs> you know, it it'd be a nightmare. Because you know, there are places where it goes from four lanes down to two for one direction of traffic. And without knowing where the merges were supposed to be and no visual cues to that, oh my gosh. I can just imagine where it'd be like under the bridge going westbound on Sixth Avenue where you know, on this side of the Washington Jefferson Bridge, it's four lanes for a while. But by the time you squirt out the other side and you're merging with the people coming off of the I-105, you're down to two lanes. Yeah, and it's like they 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 jog left and right and they end and stuff like that without the lane markings. Oh my gosh, that's gonna be that's gonna be a lot of fun.
0: Think about the crazy age. you got um uh, four lane road that goes into this I'm trying to be nice um, <laughs> with crosswalks merge crosswalks merge crosswalks merge coming in traffic from um
1: and there's two lanes in the circles right yeah and, and and those those lane delineators will be covered up in the snow, so first of all, how do you realize the circles two lanes? and there's two lanes side-by-side coming into the circle from each direction, gosh, that's going to be fun in the snow, too.
0: Well, granted, we don't get snow and ice that often, but I would think. In fact, Jay, as an engineer, when you design something, aren't you supposed to try to take uh, incumbent weather, even if it's rare, into consideration?
1: I mean, and that's, you know, when you think about roads, the, the one of the very basic things of designing a road is you got to get the water off of it. Yeah. So you design roads all around drainage. You think you design roads about, you know, what happens when the snow covers the lane markings? Is it still safe?
0: Yes, can cars navigate safely around that? Without
1: having to have the spaghetti, which that's the other portion is if you need that spaghetti, you better make sure it's visible in dark, rainy nights. Oh God! And 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 half the time around here, you can't see striping when it's dark and rainy. It's not reflective enough. I don't. I. I, It it
0: boggles my
1: mind. I can drive over on the East Coast and they have this paint that has glass beads in it. That you know, at night, it's practically blinding the, the 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 line striping on the roads there. And when it rains, and it rains a lot harder on the East Coast you can still see the lane disappears, you know, let alone if it has snow on it. So it's kind of like you, you would think as part of a, a, a road designer here in Oregon, you would have to think about, does if I'm really depending on that striping to keep my roads safe, you would think you would make sure it shows up in inclement weather.
0: Well, when I first encountered the Crazy Aids going from Springfield to Eugene, it was nighttime. And I wasn't.